Okay, what a, an amazing story and testimony. And I know that in a room like this, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who some of Shirley's story will resonate deeply with yours. So what we're praying is that as we look at God's word together today, that something of his truth will kind of explode in our hearts and bring change. That's what we're after, right? Because that's exactly the story we've just heard, that God takes broken people like you and me and does amazing kind of works of restoration and healing in our lives. And aspects of exactly what you talked about are be things you think, that's my story as well. And if you're in that place right now, we would love to pray with you and help you, and we believe God has a plan for you. So, well done, Shirley. What an amazing story. We're in this series called Disciple, and we're looking at what it means to be a disciple and to how to grow as a disciple. And I say that because... Um, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, sometimes you go through seasons where the truth is you feel a bit stuck and you don't feel like you're growing and you feel like you're caught in the same habits and you look back and you think, I don't know if I've moved at all. And so we want to talk about how to grow and how to mature and change as a Christian, what things happen, you do and what you believe. And we've been doing a whole bunch of topics. You can pick up on all those from the podcast, but we're going to talk about the issue of identity and citizenship today. And it's a little different, maybe, from some of the other things we've looked at. And we're going to look from Philippians 3. So if you've got a Bible, turn to verse 12. If not, we're going to look at it on the screen. And I'm going to read the eight verses uh, from Philippians 3 for you. It says this, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, these things. And if on some point you think differently, you too, <laughs> that too God will make clear to you. God will show you that I'm right. In other words, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, I want to begin by asking a little question, which is basically, how many of us in the room watched any of the Winter Olympics the last few weeks? Okay, it's just a few of us. Ah, a few of us. Okay. Now, I, had to, I quite enjoyed the Winter Olympics. We were way over half term. I watched the kind of highlights every evening. And what I like about the Winter Olympics is it seems to be a collection of mad sports that some crazy person has constructed in snow, right? Um, anybody watch the curling? The, cur- the curling is basically bowling on ice with domestic chores all put in the package. And it kind of creates this incredibly kind of engaging sport to watch. And there's a whole load of these kind of sports in the Winter Olympics. But there's a bit of a mystery about the Winter Olympics, namely this, that the great British team, while so brilliant at summertime sports, are not fantastic at winter sports, okay? Apart from one sport, which is basically lying headfirst on a tray 
called the skeleton. Did anybody see the skeleton? We're brilliant. The women are amazing at that sport, okay? We don't win anything else, but we win that again and again. So bobsleigh, not very good. Skiing, okay. Snowboarding, all right. Ice skating, well, falling over a lot. Ice hockey, not so good. Sledging headfirst, amazing. Now, I don't know what it is about us, but particularly, we're particularly good at the skeleton. Now, you listen to Lizzie Arnold, who got interviewed, who won the gold in that, and any elite athlete, you get the same theme in the conversations and interviews again and again and again which is basically you get this view that their life is completely focused on one thing. You know, years and years of training and sacrifice, and everything is lined up for this one thing. And I mention that because when you read Philippians 3, and as I was reading it through, that's exactly the kind of feel you get in this passage as well. You read about Paul, and you notice in the way he articulates himself that basically his entire life is about one thing. So verse 13, 14, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. No apathy, no stagnation, simple desire and hunger. Now, the question it should stimulate in us is, what is it about Paul that has produced a life with that much clarity and that much conviction. You see, because I think that's a hugely relevant question for us who living in the context we do. Western Christianity, the big enemy of our faith, primarily is not about persecution. It's not even about personal rebellion. Most of us, if you're a Christian here, you're unlikely, it is possible, but you're unlikely to throw away your faith completely and just wander off. You may do that. But it's less like the big enemy for most of us is not persecution, not rebellion. It's simply apathy. That's our biggest enemy often. Because lukewarmness in our faith easily kind of seeps into the way we view Christianity in our faith and we consider it almost normal. But when you read this passage, what you find is no stagnation, no apathy, no sense of lukewarmness, but absolute clarity. So the question is, why is that about Paul? What is it in his life, what do I read in this passage, which can help me produce that in my life? Okay, that's the question we're asking. Now, you can answer that, I guess, in a whole range of different ways. You could say, well, one of the keys is in Philippians 3. He says, imitate me, follow other people who are like me. In other words, do this thing. And that would be a valid answer. There are lots of things we should do as Christians, habits, good practices, that we should do that helps stimulate growth in our lives. And that's true. But I think in this passage, there's something a little deeper going on, something a bit more kind of fundamental, something more internal that he's talking about, which then produces external fruit. Something more internal. And the key is in this phrase he uses in verse 20. Which, uh, he, when he says, your citizenship is in heaven. Let me read it to you. We're going to read from verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthy things, but our citizenship is in 
heaven. So Paul's saying, look, there's, you could live like this, like lots of people around you do, just kind of like living your life out just on the world, getting what you can from it. But actually, he's saying, but actually don't live like that. In other words, understand this, our citizenship is in heaven. For Paul, there is something about understanding and owning and believing something that has produced clarity in the way he lives. Something internal produces something external. And if that's right, what it means is for us to live a life like this where we're lined up and clear and focused and we don't fudge it, to live that kind of life, one of the keys is not what we do, it's what we believe. It's something internal that produces something external. Romans 12 says the same thing. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't live like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, truth, because the word of God is dynamic and powerful, truth believed lands in our heart. You know when truth kind of lands? You know that experience? When it lands, it inevitably starts to produce change externally in our lives. True change never works outside in. It always works inside out. That's why imposing rules on people in the end doesn't really change anyone's behavior. It's got to be in, out, and that's how the gospel works. And Paul, in particular, in this passage, is saying this truth about who you are, about your identity, about your citizenship is critical when it comes to living a life as a disciple. A lot of the areas that we struggle with in our lifestyles and our habits can be rooted back sometimes to the issue of identity, where things are not clear, where we're not secure, where we're not sure, where it's broken. And he's saying, look, citizenship is critical. Identity is critical. Now, so verse 20, Paul says, here's the key. Remember your citizens of heaven. What does he mean by that phrase? And we're going to unpack this now in the next 20 minutes or so. First of all, I want to say, I think it can feel a little abstract to us because of the word heaven. Heaven, we kind of, we're a bit confused by that whole concept. It feels a bit vague. Uh, and, and definitely, when we hear that phrase, we tend to think, right, Paul must be talking about something future, something that's to come. One day we'll be in heaven, so he must be saying to me, remember, one day you're going to go to heaven. And, that's, supposed, and that's, that's what he's saying about affecting the way I live now. And there would be some truth in that. You know, it's, it's as if Paul is saying, you're, you become a Christian. If you're a Christian here, you become a Christian, you're forgiven, and your eternal security is, is safe. Which, and so therefore, in this life, between now and when you die, hold on, don't give in, don't give in to temptation, and remember one day you're going to die, and you're going to go to heaven, and it will all be better then. It will be worth all the sacrifice now. That's the kind of... It's an easy translation of what he means. But I don't think that is what he means. Although there's some truth in that. One day we will do. We do believe we're going to be with him. We do believe it's going to be better. It is, it is good to, you've got to resist. There is a, there's a place for all those things. I don't think that's what he means in this passage. I don't think primarily that he is saying, actually, hold on because heaven is coming one day. I think he's saying, you need to understand who you are now. This is talking about not just future hope. This is talking about present reality when you cross the line of faith. Whether that was a decision you made, whether it was a season of your life, but you came to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Something changed absolutely then fundamentally in terms of your identity. And all the change in your life can be rooted from that moment. 
It's not, there is a moment where we'll be with him forever, but something has changed already in your identity. And he summarizes it in this phrase in verse 20. He says, you're a citizen of heaven. Now, what does he mean? Okay, there's a whole bunch of things we could talk about, but I want to just break it into three things. First of all, this, when he talks about saying, you're a citizen of heaven, what he's saying is, first of all, understand this, you've been chosen. You have been picked out. So verse 14, he says this exact thing. I press on to take hold of that for which he took hold of me. I'm going to live this way because he got hold of me. Now, you can interpret that verse in slightly different ways. Either way you interpret it, he took hold of me first. I'm responding to him because his initiative to me. He came after me. He pursued me. He wanted me. He hunted me down. He chose me. To be a citizen is to know you've been chosen. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. God's special possession, holy nation, royal priesthood is all preempted by the phrase chosen, picked out. Now, just on a human level, being chosen is powerful, isn't it? When you've been picked for something, it's, it's just, you know, you feel good, don't you? When someone goes, I want you in my team, okay? We all know the power of that. We know the power of being chosen, and we know the power of being overlooked. PE teachers have a real responsibility in this area, don't they, Charles? Okay, Charles used to be a PE teacher. I was quizzing him earlier. PE teachers all seem to have been trained in the same slightly sadistic PE teacher training college where they go, right, okay, how can we humiliate how many kids as possible? I know, let's pick teams. Four kids, I like you boys, you four boys. You pick the other, you pick the teams and the same four kids at the end and nobody wants in their team are left humiliated in front of everybody else. Anybody else, did that happen in your school? Okay, does it still... For those of you under 20 or under 25, does it still happen in schools? I need to know. Yes? No? I don't know. I have to do a, a survey. Okay. Well, it, was, it happened in my school. And it was just crushing the sense of being not chosen. Jesus says in John 15, doesn't he, to his disciples who knew him intimately, who he had called, he says to them, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Now, it's interesting that Jesus has to remind them that he chose them. Because we tend to kind of veer into the sense of, well, I chose you. Now, we do respond to Jesus, absolutely. So there is a sense of a decision. But underpinning your decision, if you've come to Christ, was a sense of God's initiative in your life. And it's critical to understand fundamentally, I, I, have, I only have any affections for him in my heart because he came after me. I'm chosen. I was picked out. I don't know why I was chosen, but I was. Now, that's at a human level, that's important and valuing, but it's far more potent than we first think, I believe. Because God's choosing, his calling, if you like, is not the same as ours. When I call someone's name, it may or may not be effective as to whether they respond to me. Yeah? Some of you will know that we have a dog in our family. Uh, she's a very sweet kind of little dog, but she, one of her weaknesses is she's not great at responding when I call her. Okay? In dog phrases, that's recall. She hasn't got great... How's your recall? My dog's recall is not that good. Okay? Which means that we go out for a walk, we let off the lead. I don't always know whether she's going to come back or not. If you met my family on a walk, you wouldn't think we had a dog. 
because there's this random animal circling around us who occasionally says hello and then runs off again. Okay. Her recall is not good. My call, I'll call her and she will or may or may not respond. That's not how it works when God calls people. Okay. When God calls people, what he calls, he creates. Okay. Just think quickly about Genesis. When God creates the world, other than Adam, how does he create all of creation? He speaks, doesn't he? He calls things into being that were not. So he says, let there be stars. Bam, stars. So his call creates what it commands. There's something of power, creative power, in his calling. That something didn't exist, and now it does exist. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, who's in a tomb, how does he raise him? How does he bring him from death to life? Calls out his name, Lazarus. Come out, and at the name, at the calling of Jesus, Lazarus comes to life. His call creates what it commands. So if you are, if you are a Christian here, it's because God called your name, and he created something of new life in you at that moment. That's what happens. He brought you from death to life. And fundamentally, you need to understand, he chose me. Right at the heart of being a citizen of heaven is I'm chosen. Secondly, this. You need to understand that when Paul says you're a citizen, he's saying you are chosen and you've been chosen or called, if you like, out of something. He doesn't leave you, in other words, where you were. He calls you out of where you were. Paul is, in fact, describing what it's like to live, if you like, in the world and think as the world does. Your mind is set on earthly things, and this is how you live. And Paul is describing how the world thinks when it's not orientated towards God or doesn't acknowledge God. And he's saying, that's how the world thinks, thinks, but you don't think or live like that anymore. In other words, in Philippians 3, he's saying, when you become a Christian, not only does he forgive you, but he changes your citizenship. He has called you out from one identity into a new identity. Colossians 1, verse 13. And you could pick loads of different passages that say this. But just one, he says this. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You are in this kingdom. Now you have been brought into a new kingdom. There has been a transition, a a, a transfer. You belong to that kingdom, but now you belong to this kingdom. In other words, when he's saying citizenship of heaven, he's not talking about a future thing. He's talking about a now thing. Something has already happened where you've moved where you belong to. Just turn to the person next to you and ask them what country they come from. Okay? Just ask them. If you don't know them, say hi, introduce them, introduce yourself. Okay, you can come back to me. Right, okay. So, in a room like this, we would be from all different types of nations, from all around the world. And we are in part defined by where we call home. We inherit some of the values and the cultural worldviews and traditions of where we call home, where we grew up. Okay? Now, many of us in this room have moved geographically. But we have carried with us the values and the cultural worldviews and the, and the principles and the practices, some of them, of our homeland where we consider to be home. Now, Paul is saying in this passage, you used to come from here. This was your home. 
You used to live like them, like your mind was set on earthly things. That was home, but now that's not home anymore. You've moved, in other words. In other words, you have a new home. You used to belong to this kingdom, and now you have a new kingdom. You have a new homeland. And because God's calling your life is effective and powerful, you used to carry the values and the cultural worldview of your old homeland, the earth, But now you've transitioned and you have a new identity. So now guess what? You start to carry the the values and the cultural worldview and the principles of your new homeland, your new citizenship, your new place of origin. You belong to another people and you belong to another king. Your identity has radically changed. You're not the same person anymore. You are not from the same place that you used to be. That's already happened. It's not a future thing. It's a now thing. Now, that doesn't mean next time someone says to you, oh, where are you from? And you used to go, oh, I'm from Nigeria. You now go, I'm from heaven. Because <laughs> that would be really weird, right? And so don't just be weird for the sake of being weird. That was just like, oh, I'm from heaven. Don't do that, okay? But it does mean, can I say, that your relationship to the world will shift now. And if at times you feel awkward and a bit out of step, that's right. We do. And that's not a wrong thing. That's that's because that's right, because you now carry the values and the cultural worldview of your new homeland. So yeah, I'm from Britain, but I'm first now a citizen of Jesus and his kingdom. And so that comes first before my ethnic my national identity. That comes first. I'm a Christian first, I'm British second. You're Christian first, Jamaican second, whatever, wherever you're from. And we carry together, don't we, wherever we're from, the values of the kingdom and we're to live it out in this earth. Our identity has radically changed and it means at times I'm going to be a bit out of step. And that's why in the New Testament, often Christians are referred to as aliens, exiles, strangers. Now, That's particularly important to understand because we spend a lot of time and sometimes a lot of money trying to fit in. I'm not suggesting here we should all try and be odd and dress oddly, you know, and try and look weird. Everyone goes, oh, they're a bit odd. But I am saying to you that as a Christian, my job is not to try and fit in. If I fit in on certain values, great. But actually this these values now, this citizenship defines me to the point that at times I'm going to be it's going, to be, it's going to be a bit difficult, a bit uncomfortable. Because I'm from another, a different homeland, and if you're a Christian, so are you. So you can kind of get a feel for why, for Paul, it's so important. Because you get this in the heart of you, it affects the way you live. It's not outside in, do these things, follow these rules, it's inside out. I'm born from another place now. I belong to another thing. I belong to another kingdom. I belong to another king. And these values are going to live in me. And his call is effective in my life. So it's something of his new creation is in my life now. This is what Shirley said in her testimony. And it's going to produce a life which is different, which at times is going to be out of step. So I'm chosen. I've been called out. But that's not all of it. There's a third aspect to it I want to talk about, which is that we've been called out, but we've been sent into the world or commissioned in. Part of being a citizen is about carrying, if you like, this new citizenship 
into the earthly city we live in. That's a part of it as well. You're called out. You carry different values, and that's who you are, but you're sent in as well. We're sent in. Now, remember, the backdrop to Philippians is Philippi is a Roman colony. In other words, it was invaded, defeated by the powers of Rome in about 42 BC, and they have colonized it. They have settled there. And people lived in this place as if they were living in Rome. In other words, you could be a Roman citizen in Philippi, and your job as a Roman citizen was to live out the values and the privileges and the cultural worldviews of being a Roman citizen in this foreign city, Philippi. That's the backdrop, and that is exactly what Paul is referring to when he writes this passage. You belong to a different home. Your job as a Christian now, your role, is to take the values and the principles of this new kingdom that you're from, and you are to live it out in the earthly kingdom that you live in. Yes, there's a day when the king will come and he will, if you like, bring fully the reign and the rule of heaven into earth. Okay, He will come and he'll invade the earth fully and his kingdom will come fully. But until that day, our job is to live in Philippi or live in London, bringing the values of the kingdom and the healing of the kingdom and the justice of the kingdom everywhere we can, while we can. In other words, we're to bless the city. We've been called out, but we've been sent in. Jesus says exactly the same in John 15. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jeremiah prophesies the the same thing to the exiles in Jeremiah 29. The background to that passage is some some Jews have been taken from Jerusalem, the professional glasses. They've been taken to Babylon, exiled, in other words, in a foreign city, And they are refusing Babylonian rule. They're refusing even to enter the city. They want to live outside. And they're refusing this kind of foreign captor who's exiled them. And then God sends them a prophet, Jeremiah, who says the most shocking thing to them. Because they're thinking, I'm just going to resist Babylonian rule. I don't want to be part of it. You've taken me from my homeland. And Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah comes and prophesies to the exiles, the strangers, the aliens... And this is what he says about how they are to relate now to the city that they have been exiled to. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. To all those I carried into exile, they were were taken by the Babylonians, but God said, I carried you from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, Jeremiah also says there will be a day when you're taken back. There will be a day when you're fully at home, if you like. And there's a day coming, folks, when we will be fully at home. Jesus will come and you'll be fully at home. But whilst now we live in this city, we live as if as we are citizens of heaven, but in this city, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. You see, you've been called out and you've been sent in. And whilst this affects the way we live and the ways we act, fundamentally that is rooted in understanding who you are. You've got to understand it as an issue of identity. This is who I am now. 
This is who I'm called to be. So if you're a Christian here, Jesus didn't just come after you to forgive you and heal you, as fantastic as that is. He called you to a much bigger thing. Christians are simply people who have received the grace of God and the blessing of God in their lives in order to share the grace of God and the blessing of God with others. We're, like, we're to be conduits. It's like a stream, not a, not a reservoir or a dam. So Jesus says, doesn't he, to his disciples, freely you've received, now freely give. That's how you're to live. Pass it on what you have received. So if you're at school, if you're at college, if you're at home with your neighbors, in the office, at the hospital, in the staff room, in the business meeting, wherever you are, live out who you are and where you're from. Carry the cultural DNA of your homeland into all the contexts you find yourself in tomorrow, everybody. That's the call. That's because that's who you are. Sometimes, for those of you who have kids, sometimes you'll say to your kids, remember who you are. Because what you're saying is, live like the way, who you are, your identity. And this passage is saying, this is who you are, now live it out. Be who you are there. Chosen, called out, sent in. Now, two quick words of challenge as we close. For some of us, we've never made the decision to follow Jesus. Can I say to you, as you're on the journey, just for clarity's sake, notice in the passage there are only two kingdoms on offer. He says, look, there's the kingdom of the earth, the world, and basically living like this is it, and you're just trying to get everything you can out of this because this is it, and then there's this other kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, and there are only two kingdoms. Jesus says the same in Matthew 7. He says, there's two builders, a foolish one and a wise one. Matthew 6, you, can only love, you can't love God and money. You can't. In other words, there's not a series of options where you can sit on the fence and it's going to be fine. It's just, you've got to make a choice. You have to choose, in the end, Jesus says, me or not me. And Paul is saying the same thing here. You can live like this, or you can live like that. What are you going to choose? So if you've never made that choice, but you feel like, no, I believe it, and I'm ready to, I want to suggest to you today, at the end, come forward and go, I want to make that choice today. Others of us, I felt there's a challenge massively in verse 16, where Paul says this, live up to what we have already attained. Live up to what we have already attained. I believe there are people here, you're a Christian, you made that choice maybe several years ago. But actually it's as if you've been in a season, and I don't know how long that season's been, but you've been in a season where through just the influence of the world and the people around you, you felt the pull of the world again to live like this, to just, your, your perspective has shifted down, and it's as if you've literally forgotten who you are. And this morning, as I've spoken, you've just sensed God speaking to you and God saying to you, remember who you are. I didn't call you to live this kind of life. This is not what you're called for. This was my story, actually. I felt God speak to me. Like, remember where you're from, Phil. Like, remember who you are. I felt literally hunted down by him in the end. I felt the pull, but I remember God, I just felt like God was not going to let me go. I don't think God wants to let you go. But this morning you're sensing God saying to you, no, remember who you are and where you are from. Live up to who I've called you to be. That's not who I've called you to be. I've called you to be this. Now live up to it. 
and you felt God speak to you about it, and I just want to say to you, if you sense God speak to you today, don't harden your hearts. Don't miss the moment with him. Because these are significant moments when he whispers to us. I stand. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you know us and that your word is living and active and powerful. And we just want to pray that we want you to change us and grow us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, if you like, breathe on these, 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 this scripture, these words of yours, Lord Jesus. And let life come in many of our hearts, we pray. And if, we, if today we know we need to respond, give us the courage to respond um, in whatever way you're calling us to do that step. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.